Welcome back to Almost Heretical, the show where we revisit and reimagine the Bible together and find new ways forward. My name's Nate. And I'm Shelby. And we're going to be looking at Genesis again. Uh, we've had a couple guest episodes, but now we're back to talking about the Bible. We're going to go through the Bible, <laughs> verse by verse, chapter <laughs> by chapter. Every dot and iota. Whatever. What's the? Anyways, we're gonna we're gonna look at this um, kind of like the old days where you just went through sermon by sermon and we looked at a we looked at a um, some dip, just each passage. Yeah, it could take a very long time, but also and as we've said on the first of these installments, um, we're not gonna necessarily dwell on every single verse. We're gonna kind of go through the ones mainly that I think are interesting enough to talk about. And maybe just do some broad strokes on other passages, um, but but still in Genesis one because that is a chapter worth talking about. Yeah, and so go back and listen to the first one if you haven't. Where we or, talked about the first five verses, or listen to them out of order. That's fine. Okay. This is this is the second part to it, and this is not like a Genesis series or a through the Bible series. This is just the way we're going to start doing the show a lot. We're going to be just looking at the Bible verse by verse, um, and the ones that are interesting to us. So. We did that other one um, on the first little bit of Genesis 1, and now we're continuing that. And uh, do you have, that's, that's a stack of notes there. Yeah, stack of notes for the, just the rest of the chapter. That's that's my goal for this episode, is to just get through the rest of Genesis 1, and a little bit extra, as we'll talk about. So, so yeah, we're started. We, we've got through, let's see, I'm pulling over the Bible here. We got through verse five, which was God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there's evening and morning the first day. Right. So that was where we ended. We talked a little bit more on our second podcast, Utterly Heretical, which you can get on Apple. You can subscribe there. You can subscribe on Patreon. It helps us. That money helps us. A couple dollars a month helps us uh, keep this mm-hmm. show going, but also we try to give you some extra content and um, plug you into a community of other people. There's hundreds actually that are rethinking about a lot of this stuff, like Genesis. Yeah, so today we're going to start in verse 6, and uh, it starts off with, well, there's different translations. In fact, Nate, if you want to pull up Genesis 6, or I mean Genesis 1, 6, on Bible Gateway or something, so we can maybe look at a couple of those translations. I am holding what I believe is the ESV. It's a, it's a parallel Chinese-English Bible. It doesn't actually say what the English translation is, because um, I lived in China for a few years. That's the explanation. Genesis 1, 6. Uh, in the ESV says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Yeah. And then NIV is, God said, let there be a vault vault. between the waters to separate water from water. And I think the King James says, let there be a firmament potentially. I I think that's right. Let's see here. Switch it over. And go to New King James. Sure. New King James is... Maybe not the same, but... Let there be a firmament okay, New King in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, NIV kept the waters from what waters. What translation did you grow up reading? Uh, NIV. Okay. Yeah. Me I mean, I think it, like when I was kind of coming online in my brain, <laughs> age <laughs> seven, eight, nine, I don't know, whenever my first memories of church would be, it was the debates about, you know. Bible translations. Yeah, the, well, the older people in the church were like, you know, I don't understand why we can't just keep using the King, King James. Oh, you know, I'm wow. King James. I mean, my but from early age it was NIV. I think that was like the new cool. What is that from the seventies, right? Um, but that was the new cool yeah. <laughs> translation. And then ESV when I was, you know, was like in college or whatever. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. they had the they have the beautiful app and everything. So ESV yeah. really uh, swept. But uh, but I was that's funny because I think my church was probably past the the King James to NIV. Transition when I came online around mm-hmm. eight years. I'm a few old. years older. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's I guess it only took a few years, and then, and then yeah. By the time I was exiting that church, it was the do we switch to ESV? Mm-hmm. Don't know what translation they're using nowadays. But anyway, um, so interesting verse. We have let there be an expanse. Is that I mean ESV is the most recent of these translations, and that's kind of the most. It's pretty different than like vault or firmament. Those are rather concrete terms versus expanse. It just feels like this big wide open space. Um, and I would say that those earlier ones are probably better translations of um, the Hebrew concept. And really, I mean, the the ancient idea behind this was that there was an actual hard shell, essential, essentially a tent 
above the earth that was supporting all the waters above. Like that's, and that's why I'd say it's in the midst of the waters or separating the waters, that there was water where we would picture outer space. And then there's the water beneath in the ocean. And that there's this firmament, this hard vault holding all that water above back from us. Um, and what I think is interesting is that by the time this story became part of the Genesis collection, which is um, after the exile, I mean, only a few hundred years before Jesus, really, that you're starting to actually formulate all of this into kind of a Hebrew Bible. By the time the story was in the Genesis, in a final form of Genesis, more or less, the Jews scientifically did not actually believe that there was a firmament in the heavens anymore. Like that was already an old idea to them by the time the story was being kind of they set should tell the flat earthers this because there are still some that use i believe and someone correct me if i'm wrong send an email contact at almostfretical.com but i think that flat earthers sometimes reference the the dome verse in uh mm-hmm. genesis 1 6 here so well that's all the that's all the space we need to give the flat earthers for today <laughs> oh, but um but what i think's interesting is that is just the difference in philosophy here that how it shows very clearly the intent of the passage to not be some kind of scientific explanation of creation. That even though the Jews at that point didn't actually believe there was a, a firmament separating waters, like at that point they knew that it was, you know, stars and kind of more of a space concept. They still included that story because it was just the tradition. Like it was more about the way the story was told than being somehow scientifically accurate. So I just think that's a, a valuable um, way to look at the fact, uh, way to look at the writers and the, their intentions behind this was to just tell a story. Um, I think most people listening to this podcast were all comfortable with the idea that, that this was not, never meant to be a scientific explanation of the creation of the world. But but I just, I, I love that you can even see within the, the writing, within the pre-Jesus time of um, Hebrew scriptures, the Jews are showing that they don't, that they're not tied to, they're not trying to to create a scientific um, document. They understood that the imagery wasn't literal and they weren't concerned with scientific accuracy. And so we can be the same. I also do think it's interesting. I mean, you, I guess you're saying that there are flat earthers who do still claim there's a hard dome. That's but I think, one of the, I think, in the list of things that they would say, right? I think it's interesting that I grew up in a very literal seven-day creation, young earth um, community, Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham, all that. And nobody ever really dwelt on this verse. Like the the literal Genesis account was only taken to match up with things that they felt that they could prove. Like nobody was saying, and yes, there is a hard firmament separating the waters above from the waters below. I mean, I think the second you break through that with the first rocket ship, you know, and we go to the moon, Apollo 11, the 60, like, I think that doesn't really hold up anymore. We we have a picture from the moon back to Earth, right? Right, What do you yeah. do with that? Like, never once did I hear an argument that it's actually all water up there. Mm-hmm. And yet, definitely heard an argument that creation happened in seven days in this order. So, it's just, it's funny to me what things are taken literally and what aren't. Yeah, okay. So, that's, uh, there's the, you know creation of the the firmament god made the expanse separated the waters god called the expanse um heaven or sky i mean heaven is is obviously not in hebrew it's not the concept that we necessarily think of it just kind of means everything above like the heavens and there was evening and morning the second day starting in verse nine we have okay god said let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear and it was so god called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. This is the end of the naming in the um, in chapter one. After this, you know, it continues to describe creation, but God's not naming any more of the elements, which I find kind of interesting. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was, because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? 
Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, he works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. Um, I'm not quite sure that's true But it is available wherever you get your podcasts You know what's interesting too Is that these are very basic things That are being named, right? Like land, sky, sea Uh, We have learned more and we've been able to break down the elements, right? So we know that when you say water, it's actually, there's actually a couple things going on there, right? When you say sky, there's a number of things going on there with our composition of yeah, our atmosphere. There's not on really this planet. such a thing as sky, I guess you could say. Right. Maybe that's not a very scientifically accurate statement. But... Right. And so I guess what I'm getting at is that should be evidence right there that if they had more elements to deal with, they would have dealt with them in their story, right? They didn't because they didn't know about those things. So it's not a knock on an ancient people. It's just saying that they didn't talk about those things because they didn't know about those things. So don't try to make this be a scientist. Are we still talking about this? Do we still have to say don't make Genesis 1 a... Probably a not. Probably not to this Not to this audience. audience yeah. But this audience is talking to people who may still believe that. So... Mm-hmm. Anyways, we're we're there with you on that one, and I think that could just be another another thing to use. Maybe as you, we, we hear from you all sometimes that like give me more thing. Not that you want to get into these debates and discussions necessarily, but they happen, and so it can it can. One of the reasons I started this show in the first place was because I felt lost in those discussions. I felt like you know I used to have a lot of information and arguments and cases for everything, and now I'm in this new space of believing something different but i can't prove it all i can't like explain it all Mm -hmm. i can't not that i'm trying to win an argument but i can't even like sound reasonable in a a discussion even go into the discussion yeah right and so i think that's that's a helpful piece for me here is like yeah they're talking about these three pretty basic things because that's all they knew at the time so don't make this a scientific account of how the world came into existence because it doesn't deal with Countless other elements. I don't even know all the elements. You probably know them all. You probably memorized no. a song when you were a kid. A kid. <laughs> Shelby's very smart. I don't, don't think I memorized that song, but he teases me about the songs we, we learned that were like the specifically on the northern border of the United States or yeah. the, the eastern I mean, border. I, I was a, like a normal child. I memorized a, the you know a song. I had a song for the states of America. Shelby has like a song for the hey, northern they're states. They're incredibly helpful. I, <laughs> they, use I know them you all beat the time. me in trivia stuff because of <laughs> southern border. Didn't need one for the western East Coast. border. Yeah, that's true. There's only yeah. a couple states. Anyway, yeah. So, so this uh, this creation of the separation of land and sea is, like I said, the end of the naming. And also, there kind of was these three categories. There was the let there be light and the separation of light and darkness. Then there was the expanse and the separation um, of the waters from the waters. And then now there's the creation of land and, and sea. And so those three categories in, are different from the whatever all the rest that follows in that they're kind of a creation of time and space. So it's the kind of the canvas on which everything else will now appear and the foundation of it all. And again, what's interesting, and I think we said this on the first um, Genesis installment is first through the Bible installment is that I, again, it's not creation out of nothing. Like this all started with, there was, you know, this, this chaos, this tohu vavohu, the, that God then calls everything into existence out of. So um, there was a, a commentator just as going through these, um, these verses who, who said, um, this is Sternberger says, in the whole of the creation story of Genesis, I can find nothing whatsoever of the creatio ex nihilo of speculative and dogmatic thought. This kind of, this concept of creation out of nothing. Hmm. Like that's just, it's just not in the text. And I think that, uh, for me, that was a, such a heavily taught concept that I wanted to emphasize it again. But moving on to the next 
the section really of the story. So we finished the, the, the naming and the time and space. So now moving on to verse 11, God says, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind and on the earth. And it was so the earth brought forth vegetation, plants, da, 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 da. And God saw that it was good evening and morning, third day. So this is the first time that God's word isn't, isn't doing the creation. Like God does say, let there be, but he'd, but then it's the earth that's doing the producing. Like mm. it's it's more like God's giving the power of creation to a different entity, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it, it's starting that process, right? It's saying let the let the earth or let the land, like it says uh, in the NIV, let the, the it's like let the land start this process yeah. that it does, right? So even there, there's some like I feel like science or just the natural way of things involved. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna keep moving. Uh, we've got the the land producing vegetation, and now at this point, there's the creation of the sun and the moon, which is just the most non scientific order of events possible. Well, I've never thought about that. Yeah. So how's the land producing vegetation? Well, how we is know... there day and night? Right. How's there day and night? Yeah. But even so, like land producing vegetation, we know that the essential components of that are <laughs> like photosynthesis and what plants do right yeah to, and it needs the sun yeah so again just i think another uh stab at the idea that this is a literal account not not that anyone needs us to be stabbed more but just can't help but point it out but the the creation of sun and moon is significant in the story not because of not nec- not entirely because of their um natural like what they are as much as what they represent the sun and the moon were by far the most common and popular divinities in the cultures surrounding israel the sun god and the moon god were kind of everywhere in different forms so here the author the the passage i mean it's like five verses talking about this it goes the author goes to great lengths to clarify that these are created entities not other gods um, but even so, there's kind of hints of the cultural impression of the sun and the moon um, because they're given, as we see in verse 16, they're given the ability to, to rule. It says, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So even, even within this very much emphasizing how God created these and they are just elements of nature, but they're also still ruling. Um, so there's, you can see the kind of just cause the cosmology of the day. Yeah. I'm making weird faces. Yeah. You're, you're looking very contemporary. Well, I'm reading there. cause I was like, okay, answers in Genesis has that has to have an answer on the light before the sun thing, <laughs> which I feel like the I bigger think... question isn't just light before the sun, but it's vegetation before mm. the sun photosynthesis happening before the sun. It's a very sun thing that happens. Yeah. It's not because some of these things are like, uh, and some of them are like early church, like Tertullian. Um, so this yeah, well, one fifty five two twenty A D. I think we might have talked about some of this on the last episode. Oh, but, possibly. But go ahead. It's interesting. Oh, just about maybe it was the they give kind of like two or three explanations here um, that the light was a physical manif- manifestation of Christ's glory. Oh, God. and that's not that's Tertullian. So okay. Um, you can still laugh at it, but uh, <laughs> so coming Sorry, using John one nine, um, mm. okay, or maybe it was the original source, uh, or was the original source a pillar of fire that later became the sun? Uh, that's we're stretching. We're really stretching here. Ephraim of Syria, Syrian, uh, and then there's oh uh, maybe it was maybe the source was an essence of the sun, but without its substance. Okay. Did the angels provide the light? Uh, it just feels like maybe was it Shekinah glory? Okay, I think this is. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So, somebody's got to admit it doesn't make sense. We don't know. I mean, this is a long article to try to explain. Yeah, and there's no why. real out ballpark, or there's no real home run answer there. Yeah. No. Well, not, I mean, I guess we're not, left or maybe me, not the right people to ask. <laughs> well, none that left me going, okay, yeah, that's, how do you deal with that one? You know, like, yeah. Oh, and the last one. Of course. Of course. Do you want to guess what oh, the last boy. one is? I mean, the what light last of... Thing, what the last thing they say in the article? Mm. What's the last thing they... I have, I don't know. Right. I mean, the light of Christ was pretty... Right, I'll just give you the header. The header is, admitting our limited understanding oh, and letting boy. God's word have the final say. 
So basically, if none of these answers are suitable to you, Doesn't just remember, don't know the right, God's ways are higher than our ways, which I'm not trying to like mock people or anything like that here. What I'm saying is that is given to people and it's probably been given to you, oh listener out there, as a like, well, you, you know, you're, you think your little brain up there can understand mm-hmm. the ways of God, you know, and that sometimes the filthy rags is brought in here too. Like, <laughs> who are you? Like, basically you're just this scum yeah, thing. Yeah, clay and, and he's the potter. Right. And how are you going to, and Job, you go to Job. Oh and yeah. Like, where were you when, the, right. So don't, don't accept those answers anymore. Right. They're, it's yeah. because it's trying to just mold this Bible into something. Right. That's when we're the ones the, that are the, accused The reality often. is that that is not, like to say that let God's word have the final say. This just is a misrepresentation of the Bible. That, right. First of all, you know, and call us heretics, but to call the whole thing God's word is is assuming a lot of God that God doesn't claim of Yeah, go back to our Bible text. series on that. I don't know. Yeah. What was that? A couple months back. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and and then yeah, you look at the intention of the text and the development of them, and there's there is no such thing as a final say. Like these were constantly changing and growing, um, and particularly like say, until Constantine. Like we say on here, it, we we actually care about the Bible. That's why we're not doing this show to knock the Bible and like try to like put it in its place. You know, no. well, I guess we're putting it in its place, pr- appropriate place, mm-hmm. because we think it's a pretty amazing thing. Right, and we want to kind of shine a light on what it actually is and can be exactly. Yeah. So, anyways, for any of you who are feeling uncomfortable with some of that, um, that's that's the goal here is to actually get to what is what is this trying to say? Because if we can figure out what it's what it is trying to say, then we don't have to do this whole molding and like trying to crush something into the be this scientific textbook. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. All right. Uh, let's see. Moving into verses 24 and 25. Oh, no, no, no. A little before that. 20 is the creation of uh, let the waters swarm with living creatures and birds fly above. So the fish and the birds. And then, oh, God created great sea creatures. So that's mm-hmm. cool. I mean, we're not necessarily talking Loch Ness Monster here, although. Some people go there for dinosaurs. Yeah. Some people uh, go there. Uh, yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, every kind of winged bird, and God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. What's cool about this is the first blessing of part of the creation, like God God blessed them, and, and then says, Be fruitful and multiply, which is kind of cool, because that's the same blessing that's given in a few verses later to, to humanity, um, just kind of a high calling of creation. And then moving into the rest of the animals uh, on the sixth day, because that was evening and morning, the fifth day. God Then on the sixth day, God says, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Da, 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 da. God saw that it was good. Um, I, and it's about to go right into um, the creation of humans. And I do think it's it's interesting that the way it was structured, the the living the creatures the land creatures are created on the sixth day with humans you know you would maybe think all the animals are going to get created on day five and then boom you know climax of the story human humanity gets day six but or the humans would be first or that yeah but but but, uh the humans are in a sense kind of lumped together with all the other land animals um not that i think the the authors of this text saw humans as animals like they clearly see them as something different and special but they are living in community with all the other creatures who Mm. live on the land yeah Um, and god sees them all as good all right so we're getting to verse 26 and this is where it gets interesting to me not i don't not because i'm what's the word anthrocentric i don't know that seems like that would be the word human centered Mm-hmm. But I mean, creation of humans seems pretty significant too. I think we need uh, to be a little human centered with all this AI <laughs> stuff going on right there, and people trying to put c- computers on the same level as humans, and Ooh. like that's what the go-, go look into what the Google CEO said about. I don't think AI. I know. It's scary. I believe you. All right, so so the first thing to note before we go into the creation of humans is, um, which many of you are probably already aware of this, but Genesis has two separate accounts of the creation of humans. Um, essentially Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 have two 
completely different. I mean, somewhat overlapping, but if you were to do a Venn diagram, almost completely different um, accounts of creation of humans. And they are often harmonized into one. I mean, obviously, starting from when you're a child, you're just given kind of one creation story, and you're going to have bits and pieces of both. And then, I mean, honestly, through most of my life, I don't know that anybody really sat down and kind of compared and contrasted these accounts, because I think comparing and contrasting would bring up the question of why is there a contrast at all? Like, why, why are there two stories if this is all happened this way and how could there possibly be any differences so i don't i think that's why the conversation never really happened but obviously the conversation is going to happen here yeah and why are there two stories (laughs) one's just older than the other and they're Mm -hmm. teaching two different things and this first one that is occurs in genesis chapter one is definitely my favorite and you'll understand why here and then probably in our next episode when we dig deeper into the second account of creation of humanity so so here we get here we get into um humans verses 26 to 28 let's see god said let us maybe you were going to stop right there (laughs) well for anyone who hasn't read the text in a while it says let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So, let us create man in mm. our image. What did you learn about that growing up? I mean, I was told that's the beginning of the Trinity right there, right? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's, the, that's the first time you see it pop up, um, which, you know, for any of you maybe who don't know, like, the Trinity is, does not actually exist. The word does not exist. In the in Bible. Scripture, yeah, it's not there, but it's a pretty commonly accepted um, doctrine uh, in <laughs> would, the church. I would, that's an understatement. <laughs> are there any, are there any uh, denominations or uh, when, maybe not even denominations, but like, like the Eastern Orthodox not believe it or something like that? There might be. I can't name anything off the top of my tongue, but I mean, the doctrine of the Trinity did form very quickly. It's part of essentially the earliest creeds. So um, I'd say it's probably fairly universal, but nothing's completely universal. You're Googling it. Anything yeah, it coming doesn't, up? it's hardly any, and none that I think evangelicals would call Christian Christians. At all. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't think that. Yeah. Non-Trinitarianism? Wow, that's a big word. Uh, oneness Pentecostals reject the Trinity doctrine, viewing it as a pagan. Wait, Pentecostals? Oneness Pentecostals. Oneness Pentecostals. I'd never heard of that well. until now. But viewing it as a pagan and unscriptural, uh, and unscriptural, and hold to the Jesus name doctrine with respect to baptisms. Oh, and baptize baptize you in the name of Jesus. I guess mm. it would be the interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say that's the most common thing I heard growing up too. Is that this led us is the the Trinity showing up here, which I think I always felt like, huh? It's a little funny that. It's not talked about anywhere else, <laughs> like essentially yeah. through the rest of the Old Testament. And then and then, what, by the time you get to the New Testament, then you're like, okay, well, now I can kind of see at least all the characters at play. Like you've got the, the Holy Spirit in the tongues of fire and you've got the Father blessing the Son. You know, Jesus is obviously there in the New Testament. At least you can kind of see them all. But in the Old Testament, there's no sign of that whatsoever. If anything, there's this huge emphasis on like, I mean, the Shema, which is one of the most important statements that Israel you know, repeats in their religion is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when we think about, you know, we, maybe some of us are familiar with the um, tenacity with which Islam defends the monotheism of God. Like, it's just, it's so essential to their religion that God is is one. And they very much contrast that with, uh, like, even with the Trinity. Like, they're just, that this that's, can't be possible. I mean, I'd say that's probably a, along the level of what Judaism was, too. Very much. Although that was a later a later development within Judaism. So, I guess the question would be then... Probably post-exilic. What do... What did the Jews telling this story to each other, and then eventually writing it down and continuing to read it, what did they think that... They were. What, what did they mean when they said yeah. that? God, let uh, God said, "Let us." 
Yeah, dot, I think dot, dot. I think they well, first of all, I think it's very um inac- inaccurate and misrepresenting to to say that there's that this is the trinity. Just and we've maybe um, maybe said this before, but doesn't necessarily the, mean that the doc. You're not necessarily talking about the doctrine of the Trinity right now. You're just saying if we look at this, this verse. Like right. I don't think that we can say that the doctrine of the Trinity is represented within the Old Testament at all. Right. Um, and I think there are there's a lot of teaching out there. Specifically, I'd say the Bible Project, which does a lot of great work, but their their kind of mantra is that the Bible is a unified story pointing to Jesus, and and that would be the um, the point that I have the most contention with because I think it's unfair. <laughs> Their mission statement. Yeah, it's in every video, I think. That's, that's probably why I didn't get, you know, my, my application to work there was rejected a while ago. But um, that was years ago. But, but I think it's unfair to the Hebrew Bible to read it that way. I mean, I guess you, you can, sure, you can read anything through any lens that you want. Um, but to say that it was meant to be read through that lens, I think, is... Uh, kind of cultural appropriation, like religious appropriation, I guess you could say. Like that's this is not how those texts were meant to be read, and that's mm. not how Jews read them today. Um, so how would we feel if some religion? I mean, maybe, maybe we could say that like Mormonism does take. I think a lot of Christians would probably feel like they do kind of appropriate the New Testament, and if they take the teachings of Jesus to make it more match what they say, or Jehovah's Witnesses or something. Christians don't generally like that. But that's exactly what we're doing with the Jewish scriptures. And right. When we, well, I mean, when the we claim make it would be, say what we want. Right. But I mean, the claim would be that that Jesus said that, right? Jesus was the one that inserted himself into. I'll seal. I'll see lion. Into the Jewish story, right? And was claiming to continue that story. Sure, but I mean, I could claim to insert myself into the Jesus story as well. Anyway, so I do not believe that this was meant to be any form of the Trinity. But um, some other explanations. First of all, and probably the one that I would give the most credence to, is this idea of a heavenly court. Um, and, And this shows up in other passages throughout the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Bible. There's a about, also a Babylonian parallel to this, which again, most of these stories are coming and being formulated and finally written down post-exile from pa- Babylon. So there's a lot of Babylonian influence on the authors. Um, but there's there's multiple de- descriptions of a heavenly court in, I mean, they're in King, First Kings, there's in Job, there's some in, in Psalms that are pretty well known. And there's several other ones within Genesis. So like in Genesis 3, it says, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not reach out his hand and take from the tree of life. So there's this another... is kind of like divine realm type of yeah. stuff. Like our first All the way back to we your first, the first yeah. series. Yeah. Michael Heiser, uh, who he eventually, because I think he was on our show, went on to Bible Project and they had him on. I think he's passed away now. But um, to talk about this whole idea of these this divine realm that, that was believed by by the Jewish people. Um, yeah. And it's not a preposterous idea. I mean, there's, it shows up in many different ways. Divine realm meaning like there were other divine beings mm-hmm. around Yahweh, around God. And God was still, you know, the the God, the most powerful, but that there were other spiritual beings who also had power who he consulted. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Job is a, a pretty clear example of kind of this depiction of of this heavenly court. Which, you know, and again, there's a, there's a, it's good to separate, when I say again, that's me going back to something I said in episode eight or something <laughs> like that <laughs> of this show. Um, I think in one of those early episodes, I asked, do we have to, I was obviously in a very different place than I am now, but like, do we have to believe the worldview that, are we trying to put on the mm. worldview of early, early Jews? And I, the answer is no, right? Like we don't have to believe that there is a a war going on in the in the heavenly realm, and uh, yeah. So I think that's just it's helpful to separate this and being like we're we are right now we're we're studying we're studying an ancient people and we're studying how they thought about the world their worldview and there were you know it's it's telling that there were other worldviews at the time 
other yeah. people groups at the time that had similar worldviews, right? That was like a common thing to have this, you know, the gods are battling it out kind of a, a thing. Mm-hmm. There are... And if anything... And your God is the best of the it's gods. It's remarkable, and we talked about this on the last um, Through the Bible episode, but it's it's noteworthy that there is no conflict going. Like, there's even though there is still a div- some hint of a divine realm and a heavenly court, there is no conflict. God's not battling it out. Because, yeah, most of the other um, cultures around them were, you're, like you said, kind of battles between different powers. So right. he's just, this one's portrayed very differently in this, this beginning of peace. Um, yeah. Out of chaos, which is right, which is a beautiful, um, a beautiful metaphor. Which I guess kind of does bring us back to what you're saying of like, and maybe even just a reiteration of you know why are we doing this? Why do we even care? Why do we read the Bible? Why is this worth even talking about? Because yeah, you and I don't really believe probably anything in this chapter actually happened. Um, but and so so then why are we talking about it? And and why do we read? all these texts, you know, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm not from Israel. Like this is not my history. And yet, you know, why do I spend all this time studying it? And, and I think the answer does just come down to, I, I mean, there's, I guess, multiple angles. One angle is purely like, it's interesting. <laughs> and I think if you take that angle with the Bible, you can actually get uh, a lot out of it. Uh, you can get different things out of it than you used to get because you just start drawing from it the things that actually stand out to you versus the things you think you should be getting out of it. And then, yeah, I mean, ancient wisdom. You know, there's there's a reason that these texts have lasted this long. It's because they generally teach stories that are exciting. <laughs> the other day, um, our daughter was drawing, uh, coloring something in a, a creature that was like completely covered in rainbows. And I was like, just looking at her drawing the rainbows. And I said, did you, have you ever heard the story of Joseph with the colorful coat? She was like, I don't think so. So I just started telling her the story of mm. Joseph for probably like five minutes to maybe 10 minutes of just a really kind of bare bones, you know, okay, there's this brother, he had 12, one of 12 brothers and they all kind of hated him because his dad favored him and then they tried to kill him she's like what I'm like i know but then there was this other brother who like kind of tried to save him but then he didn't get back in time the slave traders took him to egypt and and da, 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 all this stuff and and then you know and then there was a famine so the brothers came to egypt and who do you think was there to who was gonna give them the food when they got there she's like oh joseph I'm like yeah and so, so it's just like it's this just make an a good exciting movie. <laughs> <laughs> this make a great movie <laughs> It's just a, I mean, as soon as I finished, you know, and then the the dad got to see him again before he died and, you know, and they, they all kind of made up with each other. She's like, can you start at the very beginning again? <laughs> and it just reminded me of like, these are, these are just interesting stories of humanity the same way we t- tell fairies, fairy tales and we tell the, you know, Goldilocks and the three bears and we tell Goldilocks and the three bears, or I mean, it's maybe a little more than that, but we tell stories of the founding of our country or we tell stories of you know, Isaac Newton shooting the apple or like, this is just a, the collective story of humanity and they're interesting. And Re- I think, number one. I think the okay. moral of the story that Lucy took away from the Joseph story, cause then we went back and did the backstory of why Joseph was her favorite and he married all these wives. And so I think her takeaway was you should only marry one wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a good yeah. lesson. Yeah. yeah. I was like, it's, that's all that's legal here anyway. So that's fine. Um, right? I, I don't know. You can, <laughs> you can write us about that too. <laughs> okay. I love y'all your emails. Just email uh, us. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So we'll pull it all back that we got, we went real big picture there, but let's pull it back to. Well, you said there were, first of all, you said there were a couple of reasons. Oh, interesting. Ancient wisdom. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is a, this book and these texts are significant in our culture and they're used. And we've talked about this on the show before, but they're used in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. So it's going to be significant whether we talk about it on the show or not. So if it's already being used in certain ways against right. some of you, that's why probably you're listening. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, I guess a lot of us are using it as a, a re-equipping ourselves to deal with the beliefs that we were brought up with. Right. And yeah, so I, I think there's yeah, a number of reasons. But Yeah. Well, back to um, let us make men in our image. Um, I think the last... A reasonable explanation is in in grammar uh, in Hebrew grammar. There's the the jussive is this um, the use of essentially you can use 
the plural in uh in the let us context like this this idea uh, it, that's we are kind of putting a command out there let us do this let us do that it's just sort of like a formal way of saying i'm gonna do that mm-hmm. and that's a pretty decent explanation although i do think that divine court makes a little more sense to me because that just we know that that was part of the jewish mindset at the time so that's that i mean there's also the r image is that what you know there's mm-hmm. the us, but there's the R yeah. as well. Yeah, because once you say the let us part, you've grammatically started that sentence, that structure. Gotcha. So it's just going to carry it forward into okay. the R. Yeah. Good point, though. Um, a note on the use of the word man. Let us create man in our image. Um, it's essentially just like the way we, in English, used and sometimes still use men as the default term. You know, all men are created equal. Um, it's not, yeah, it's... Like, obviously, I don't think anyone should be arguing that God's saying, let us make males in our image. Like, it's definitely meant, like, to anyone reading it in any, any time in history, they would have assumed it meant all people. Although I will say, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's not 0% of people that have have made that argument. (laughs) I guess probably not. Probably close to zero, but probably not zero. So, yes, it is patriarchal that the word men or man can be used to denote everyone, but I'm not freaking out about it because I know that's not that's not what the intention was, and I'd say there's other things more worth freaking out about. So yeah, um, let's make man in our image and after our likeness. This is the most significant distinction from the animal world. Um, definitely giving some a special status to um, humans, but but uh, the the cultural context here is that in both Mesopotamia and in Egypt the the rulers, the monarchs were described literally as the image or the likeness of their god. The name Tutankhamun or Tutankhamun or, you know, did you did you have like a children's book about this Egyptian pharaoh who was mummified? I mean, it's one of the coolest archaeological finds of all time. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. That was, uh, but his name, Tutankhamun or however, you're, I don't know how you're supposed to say it, literally means the living image of the god Amun. And and then also in, in Assyria, the image of God was uh, a symbol on earth that represented them. So like a God might be represented by a winged disc or a sun disc or different different kind of earthly symbols that were like, that's the image of God. Um, so, the, so this is like a, a huge statement being made here that all humans are the image and likeness of God. Twofold, meaning that all humans are... Um, the, the, our rulers, as we're about to see, um, like the pharaohs or in Mesopotamia, and then also that all humans are a representation of God on earth. Mm. So I just think it feels kind of like a, you know, all men, or now we would say all men and women are create humans are created equal, right? Like it's kind of like, yeah, it feels like that kind of a thing. Like yeah. this is a big statement we're making, right? Like, yeah, everyone has these rights. Exactly. So, really beautiful statement. Um, one of the reasons why this is my favorite creation story um, that I've read ever, but also in comparison to Genesis 2. <laughs> but anyway, so he, let us create man in our image after our own likeness. Um, and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Um, and it's it's worth noting that I mean I'll give I'll give it away. But one of the reasons why this account is my favorite over the next one is it's so much more egalitarian. I mean up until this point, not, no mention has been made of male and female until the very end of that verse I just read. It's just all humans are made in the image of likeness of God and likeness of God, and then all the the. Um, command or the blessing to let them have dominion over everything and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth is given to everyone before there's any distinction made about male and female. And then even after the male and female distinction says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. Where's the verse about the umbrellas where God... Is the big umbrella. And then, <laughs> yeah, Genesis 2. <laughs> and then man's the next umbrella. And then, Basically. No, Jesus, and then man, and then woman. Wait, yeah. That's, uh, yeah well, father. Is that here? And wife that? and children, yeah. Yeah, like, okay. Something like that. I was left yeah. out of, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a very egalitarian creation account. 
Um, what's, I, I do think I'll just note here as we start to wrap up this chapter, the, it's interesting that it says right after this, and God said to the humans, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for, for, for food. And it was so. So everything's vegetarian at this point in the Jewish oh. uh, mindset. Like that's, yeah. There's no eating of meat by anyone, even animals, until after the fall, which mm. is kind of interesting to note. Uh, and also they go back to that. In Isaiah, there's uh, this, the, his vision of the utopian future is that the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. So, we're not supposed to eat animals. Well, I mean, we're not really taking <laughs> commands from the Bible at this oh, point. Oh, right, right. But uh, if you were, though, you then... Uh, well, it'd be, I was vegetarian at one point, and I was back and forth on this, because it was very clear that, like... The, the Eden, which doesn't count till Genesis 2, um, was vegetarian. And the new heaven, new earth, utopian future is also vegetarian. But then I was like, ah, well, Jesus ate meat. So that, that was kind of threw a wrench in my philosophy there. So I don't know. Do what you will. I mean, I'm all for vegetarians, but not for any of these reasons. Um, all right. Well, this is the end. This is the end of chapter one. Although I do think we need to just really quickly throw in the seventh day here. And because what's interesting is that Genesis 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, really should be part of Genesis 1, uh, which led me to do a little bit of digging into like, where did these chapters and verses come from anyway? Because, I mean, you've gotten, you know, we've had all six days. Clearly the seventh day is part of this narrative. And then at verse Genesis 2, 4, it very clearly breaks into a different creation story. Right. So... I mean, essentially, I, mean, I looked it up. This, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langton, in the 13th century, so fairly recently, all things considered, is the one who added chapter divisions, not even verses, just chapters. So up until the 13th century, there were not even chapters in the scriptures. So everything's just being read long form. I mean, this whole book was one giant book. And, and then, I mean, they really didn't put a ton of precision into these chapters because i think because all they were doing was essentially creating a reference system like it's not meant to be some theological statement they're not it's just right. also fun fact the same guy stephen langton was involved in the drafting of the magna carta so if that puts things wow. into some historical perspective i feel like i could see that name on any church staff page <laughs> <laughs> i know i'm like this sounds like a more modern name than stephen langton stephen and langton and stephen the magna langton, carta he's doing the announcements next yeah, week <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, if you want, you can go look at, if you go to like the Dead Sea Scrolls online, you can see the great Isaiah scroll and you'll see it all just long form. No numbers or breaks or chapters. I mean, other than just some natural breaks. Um, and it's, I think that would change the way that we read things. Um, I don't know that it's like, you know, and this has absolutely revolutionized the way that we read the Bible and, you know, we're completely off course now. But it is, I mean, in this case, it's pretty clearly like, oh, that's the, in the wrong spot. So it's just a, just a helpful note. It's also interesting to think about um, the people, like clearly this wasn't, the Bible wasn't really a, uh, used by lay people much at this point. Um, because the fact that there's no verses or chapters would have made studying it and discussing it fairly, like, the way we do today would have made that pretty difficult. Like in order to actually reference something with another person, you would basically just have to quote it and they would have to know the same verse. And so it was probably done mostly by scholars and... Well, I wonder if this Steve Langton guy was... (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like the Langtons are like a powerful family at the church, you know? (laughs) And uh, they're the last ones out. They locked the door. Anyway, uh, I wonder if Steve Langton also around that time, maybe one of the things they were solving for was, I don't know, and some listener out there, you can email in, but were they, was the communal reading of scripture, was that going up at this time? And they're trying to like keep people on the same, mm-hmm. literally on the same maybe. page. 
So a couple hundred years later, the printing press comes along. So I don't know, maybe this is laying the groundwork for... Yeah, that's true. That makes know, sense. More, even just scribal mass production at the time, but then eventually printing press. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, to finish us off here, our seventh day is... Uh, you know, just a couple little tidbits here. We've probably heard a lot about the teachings on the Sabbath and all of that. But yeah, this day, that is a day of, of rest. Um, remarkable in that this doesn't occur in any other creation stories in the cultures surrounding. Um, I think it's worth noting that the creation of humans is the maybe the pinnacle of creation, but it's not the climax of the story. Like the Sabbath is actually the, the climax and the finale. Um, and And I think that's really beautiful probably one of the most significant gifts that judaism passed down to to christianity and i mean even to our culture like this to this day sundays you know maybe aren't as uh as sacred as they were a hundred years ago like walmart's still open that kind of thing but but it is you 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 check whether things are open on sundays and chick-fil-a is not (laughs) banks yeah but it's we do still have this cultural rhythm of um, resting on, you know, now it's more the weekend, but it's because of this, like that's how it started. And that's, it's a beautiful tradition. It says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Um, this is, this is the first use of the huge concept of holiness, which as we know, just dominates the rest of the old Testament. And I think it's, it's beautiful that it's, declaring a a time holy a day holy not a space not a temple it's it's time and and i think that likely that is um sabbath became a much more emphasized tradition while the people of israel were in exile because they had no temple and they that so much so much of what they had considered holy had been absolutely destroyed and so um this was something that they could still hold on to so that wraps up what I would call Genesis 1. Yeah, we tag, tagged a few v- verses on the end there, but the, the essence of Genesis 1, first creation story. Um, and uh, I'm excited to get into the, 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 I'm excited to get into round two, which will have, will be a bit of a hard knock, but it's going to be interesting. Mm, yeah, the other, the alternate ending. No, yeah. it's like an alternate yeah. whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. That's, uh, the second part, we took two episodes to get through just the first chapter of Genesis. And onward from here, Genesis 2, uh, verse 4 will be next. We'll probably speed things up a bit from here. Yeah, we're not going to go. I mean, this would take 10, 15 years, oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe longer easily. if we did it that way. But yeah, so stick around. If you want to help support the show, you can go to almostheretical.com. And there's a lot of ways to to click. <laughs> there are a lot of things to click on there to become a patron of the show. And just a few dollars a month, or you can also give on uh, Apple Podcasts and get extra episodes we do, get into our Facebook group, private Facebook group. There's a few hundred people in there. We talk about lots of random stuff in there. We'd love to have you, uh, but we want you to know you're not alone. You're not crazy. That's why we do this show. We're on this journey with you, and we do this show for you, um, to give the Bible back to you in new, fresh, and exciting ways. So we will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening. Open invitation that sounds more like true.